My wife, who with our boys is out of town, she's in a killer book club. And I say a killer book club because they read all the new books. Every so often, an Amazon box would come to our front door, and I'll open it excitedly, only to see that it's her book, not mine. So they read all the new books. They go to all the best restaurants to talk about these books. And they even have a librarian in their midst, which makes the book club, I guess, better. Well, she recently told me about a new trend in publishing called happiness studies. Do you know what I'm talking about? Happiness studies. Uh, They read a book from a doctor who studies happiness. This is a thing. This is a thing. Happiness literature. It's a thing. And so I did a quick Google search on the subject, and I became inundated with titles. I'll just read a few. The Happiness Project. Some of you probably read these. The Art of Happiness. Stumbling on Happiness. The Happiness Adventure. The How of Happiness. Authentic Happiness. The Happiness Hypothesis. And I admire the wordplay there. 10% Happier. Hardwiring Happiness. And perhaps my favorite title of all... happiness (laughs) somehow they got that one i don't know how so critic cody uh, delastrati he says this quote if you're looking for advice about how to be happier you don't have to search very hard in fact these days you have to probably go out of your way to avoid it and yet he points out that the actual happiness is lower than it's ever been of people He draws out this interesting uh, contrast where companies like Google, for instance, are hiring happiness officers. That's a job I would like, happiness officer at Google. (laughs) That would be an amazing job. But apparently, for all of our efforts to be happy, to study happiness, we are not happy. We are less happy. In fact, maybe our obsession with the happiness literature is because our quest to happiness is falling short. We could call it the happiness paradox. The more we try to manufacture the good life, the abundant life, the more we fall short. So I saw this book, speaking of books and wanting to be in a book club. Author Barbara Ehrenreich, she thinks that our effort to be happy is futile. She's not writing from a Christian perspective. She's not writing from a biblical perspective. She's simply observing the world. And her conclusion is our, our efforts and our, and our sort of striving to do this are futile. She calls it an epidemic of wellness. And on the cover of her book, she has a picture of the Grim Reaper running on a treadmill. Isn't that evocative? Let's be honest. Does life for you feel like that wellness treadmill you know you're sprinting on this treadmill for financial peace for for promotion for romance for for the right clothing for home improvement for new diets for pursuing even good causes and you're sprinting and you're sprinting and you're sprinting but it's not giving you life you're just exhausted some of you have stepped off of the thing and you don't know what to do Well, Jesus makes a big claim for us this morning in the text that we just heard, verse 10 of chapter 10. He gives us the purpose of his incarnation. He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. 
The word for abundant means way beyond what is necessary, wasteful even. And so Jesus says, the very purpose of my coming is to give my sheep abundant, even wasteful, overflowing life. Abundant life. Don't let that be a cliche. It isn't. Jesus is saying, I came to give abundant life, which means two things. First of all, our quest for happiness, our quest for the good life, our quest for for the authentic life. All of that makes sense, right? We have eternity in our hearts. You are made for something more. And number two, I think what this means is that the abundant life is only found in Jesus and defined by Jesus. So all you're striving for real life, overflowing life, abundant life, it's in Jesus alone. To tell us this and to sort of drive it home into our hearts, Jesus, of course, being the amazing teacher that he is, gives us an image. It's one of his I am statements. In fact, there are two in John chapter 10. Next week, if you're with us, we'll explore the other one where he compares himself to the good shepherd. He says, I am. He doesn't even compare it. He says, I am the good shepherd. This morning, he says, I am the door, a sheepfold door. Let's just try to wrap our minds around this imagery. So shepherds in Jesus' day, even today, would lead their sheep during the day. And at night, they would lead them into what is called a sheep's fold. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 10, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. So a sheepfold, if you want to imagine it, is basically a circle of stones with a small opening. And usually they're attached to a stone wall. And if it helps you to imagine it, imagine a shepherd's crook. You have the wall, and then you have a circle sort of coming off of that wall and not attaching to the wall itself. So there is a door. There is an opening. And the shepherd would lead the sheep into the sheep's fold at night. Here's the thing. These folds don't have physical doors. So once all the sheep are in, the shepherd would lay down across the opening. The shepherd becomes the door. And so when Jesus says in verse 7, I am the door of the sheep, he is giving you an either or choice. He is saying, he, look, as much as I love both ends, and you know I do with the, with the two by two grids, I love both ends. I mean, I'm searching for both ends all the time. And you can't make sense of your Bible without a healthy dose of both and, okay? Jesus is both God and man, okay? Scripture is both God's word and written by human authors. Like, you have to have both and. But there are very important either ors in the Bible also. And this is one of them. Jesus is saying, either live outside of my care where there are thieves who, who steal and kill and destroy. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Or enter the care of Jesus where you will find abundant life even in, especially when, suffering. 
Jesus doesn't say he is a door. He says he is the door. So let's explore why Jesus is the only entrance to abundant life. Does that sound like a plan? Let's, let's explore what Jesus says in this passage. As I said, we'll explore more next week when we look at the rest of the passage. But right now, let's focus in on why Jesus is the only entrance, the only passage, the only door, the only gate to the abundant life. And the first reason that Jesus gives us is because he is the only safety that you need. Chapter 10 really is about two things, our spiritual danger and our spiritual vulnerability. Our spiritual danger comes into play with the very first verse of chapter 10. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Verse 10 comes after chapter 9. Chapter 9 is about spiritual authorities who are abusive to a man who was healed by Jesus, who was, made, who, who was given sight when he was born blind. And these, these, these elders of the community excommunicate him essentially. But at the end of, verse, of chapter 9, if you were to read it, you would see that Jesus almost performs a reverse miracle. He says that the Pharisees, who can actually see physically, are the ones who became blind in this episode. Spiritually blind. And the one who was born blind becomes not only physically able to see, but worships Jesus. And so the very first thing in chapter 10 that we see, I think it's instructive, is danger. Jesus is warning us of our spiritual danger, not just physically. Verse 8 begins with danger. Verse 10 begins with danger. Jesus is saying this world is a dangerous place. This world is fallen and it's dangerous. But the second big idea in this passage is how vulnerable we are in this dangerous world. Jesus' own disciple Peter, he said, Be alert and be of sober mind. Your enemy. So we have an enemy. The devil. We have an enemy to find. Prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. And in the midst of this danger, we are described by Jesus as a sheep. Sheep, I, I'm not a shepherd, but I've been told that sheep are two things. Not very smart and very, very dependent. Such that I heard a shepherd tell, I heard a shepherd anecdote where a sheep can be near safety and within eyesight of safety and not really know how to get to that safety without being shepherded there. So don't take it personally when Jesus says you're like a sheep. You might. Your pride might take it personally. But Jesus is comparing you to a vulnerable sheep in a dangerous world. When I was in college, I told my parents I was going to hike through Europe alone. (laughs) Okay? Uh, As a father now of three boys, I shudder to think of one of them saying the same thing to me one day. What would I do? What would I say? I didn't have a cell phone at the time, and I would go days and days, I think, according to my mom, weeks without calling them. 
I didn't think anything of it. I would find a payphone. Oh, yeah, I should probably check in. I'd call them, and I, I could tell they were like, oh, my gosh, he's alive. <laughs> they were concerned about me. Rightfully so. Uh, and I wasn't smart. Let me just tell you, uh, I was naive. For instance, whenever I would go to a new city, I had a big backpack with everything I had. I would, I would check into a hostel, which are these big open rooms with bunk beds. Just big open rooms. Most of the time, like converted gymnasiums. And I would take off my backpack, throw it on the bed, and go explore the city. Right? Every time I came back, it was there. But how naive was I? And that's just a, like, that's just a small picture. I had no idea, I had no idea the danger that I was in. And friends, I feel as if that's how most of us live our lives. We are afraid of the wrong things. And if we take Jesus' word seriously, we are like vulnerable sheep in a dangerous world. So whatever your vision is of the good life, if it's self-sufficiency, Jesus says you are vulnerable without some kind of protection. And do you see? Do you see? Jesus is that protection. He is the door. He lays down at night. And he, the, the most vulnerable part of that sheepfold, the opening, Jesus is standing and laying and guarding. He is your protection. And so if any vision of the good life that you have excludes or diminishes the role of Jesus, then it is a thin good life. And it is naive to the spiritual dangers of this world. But Jesus protects. How does he protect? Well, this brings us to our second point. He is the door to salvation. He's not just a door to protection, but he's also a door to the salvation that you really need. Jesus tells us in verse 9, take a look. He says, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. This is what his followers would proclaim. Just years after his crucifixion and resurrection in the early church, they would proclaim, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And so they proclaimed this same message. And if that sounds exclusive, that's because it is. That's because it is. Uh, when we were hiking, as a uh, this is like a little plug for the Men's Adventure Weekend. Have you noticed they're kind of infiltrating my sermons more and more? Okay, uh, maybe there's a theme or a, a method to my madness. But when we were hiking as a community of men in the New River Gorge last October, there was an amazing hike along the base or the bottom of what's called the Endless Wall. John, see if you remember this. But the only way you could get there is if you climb down this narrow, what was it, like a 50-foot ladder? At least? At least. And that thing was narrow. It was rickety. It went through a cave. (laughs) But it was the only way to access that hike. It was the only way. 
to get down. Jesus is saying, if you want salvation, if you want rescue, you have to come under his care. Every other option, every other person, every other ruler, every other authority, every other spiritual philosophy, every other religious philosophy, every other self-help philosophy, everything else, job, children, any vision of the future. They can be incredibly good things. If they become, however, your salvation, then you are in danger and it will not work. Jesus is saying, only if you come under my care will you be saved. Why? Two things. Number one, only Jesus rescues you from God's enemies. Colossians 2.13. Listen to Paul. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And so when Jesus died on the cross, our record of debt was nailed with him, which means you are forgiven of your sins. But Paul goes on. He says this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing them over them in the cross. And so at the very moment of Jesus' crucifixion, of his failure, Jesus actually wins. He actually defeats Satan. Your worst enemy. Hear this. Jesus put to shame at the cross. Only Jesus can deal with your worst enemy. I mean, not just that. Jesus rescues you from God's own wrath. What Paul said in Colossians 2.13 describes the, the debt that we have. Do you know that apart from Jesus, we stand to be judged fully by God's holiness and His justice. When we cry out for God's justice, which is a good thing, do we not realize that our sins condemn us? Unless... Unless Jesus was condemned in our place. The hard rain is going to fall, Bob Dylan. And if we're not sheltered by Jesus, if we don't have Jesus as our door, then this hard rain is going to fall on us. And that is why Jesus is the only door to salvation. He is God in the flesh, therefore sinless, therefore spotless lamb. Do you see it? Shepherd becomes lamb. So any vision of the good life that does not depend on Jesus as, uh, as for your salvation, it's deceptive. It's dangerously deceptive. It may work in the short, short run, but it will not work in the long run. I, I would love to just encourage you to take Jesus seriously this morning. I do think there's a challenge here. After all, he's speaking to the Pharisees. Okay, so I think there's a challenge here. Uh, 
uh, he's forcing the issue with you. He's trying to say, uh, look, it's me or nothing. And as many, many people pointed out, that kind of talk, I am the door to salvation, it either makes you a crazy person to say that, or a knowing liar to say that, Right? There's no such thing really as a, as a good, helpful, benevolent teacher Jesus in this passage. He's saying, I am the door, not a door, the only way to be saved. If you listen to Aaron Badenhop's excellent podcast called The Walk, he just interviewed Peter Kreft. And on that, Peter Kreft says, what if I, as a professor of philosophy at Boston, what if I said to my class, I am God? And the only way you can be saved is by trusting me. Dr. Kreft says I would be fired and people would think I'm either a lunatic for saying that or most likely a straight up liar. That is essentially what Jesus is doing for us this morning. He is saying, take me seriously. I am the door. So he is the door to the protection we need. He is the door to the salvation we need. And he is the door to the sustenance you really need. Because in this passage, Jesus talks about when you have him as your door, when you have him as your care, you are then led not only into the safety of the fold, but you are also led out into pasture. That is the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. He doesn't just protect but he feeds. Psalm 23, this is familiar to most of you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters because sheep were terrified of moving water. Why? Because if they got in moving water, what would happen? You already know about sheep. What do you think happens? Still water is good. Still water is really good. And this shepherd restores my soul. Besides being a well-loved psalm by most, it's also a perfect look into what shepherds actually did. Shepherds would, would at night, again, be the door to safety and salvation, but during the day, the shepherd would lead the sheep to water and shade and to pasture. We're getting into next week's sermon, but Jesus is saying that if you enter through him, you get him as your shepherd. And that is all you need, friends. That is all. If you have Jesus as your shepherd, you don't need anything else. I'm going to be that bold about it. You don't need anything else. Worst case scenario is no longer worst case scenario. If Jesus is your shepherd... Things might get hard. After all, in Psalm 23, we go through a valley of shadow and death, which again, was Jesus gone or was the shepherd gone when we were going through that valley? No. Just as much as he leads us to pasture, he also leads us through danger and through hardship and through suffering. So our vision of the good life can't simply mean everything's going great, but it can mean Jesus is my shepherd in it and through it. Oh man, it's so good. 
And so how, how does that work out? Well, if we look at the first five and six verses of chapter 10, we see it. Jesus speaks to you intimately. In verse 3, it says, it says the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. Only Jesus knows you intimately. And then if you look at verse 3, continuing, you see that He loves you by feeding you abundantly, leading you out to pasture. So Jesus not only knows the ins and outs of who you are, all of it, by the way, things you don't even know, nooks and crannies that you haven't even explored, things that are, are, are just objectively sinful. He knows. He knows it all. And yet He still leads you to pasture. He's still committed to your care. That can only happen with Jesus. Full knowledge and full care. He knows you and He doesn't shame you. He wants you to grow into His image. He dies for you. And then finally, I think we see the sustenance through His sacrificial leadership. Again, in verse three, we see the image. We see the image of Jesus leading us. Apparently, um, in the West, the shepherding practice is to drive, to stand behind, and to drive cattle or to drive sheep. But the practice in the Middle East is to lead. You see the difference. So, one, the leader is behind the sheep; the other, the leader is in front of the sheep. And Jesus is, of course, tapping into the Middle Eastern image, and He's saying, "I am leading you," and that is a sacrificial leading because what it means is that Jesus is taking a hit. What it also means is that His perfect shepherding leadership led Him to a cross where He became the sheep on our behalf, which also redefines all of our suffering, the crosses that we bear. It means death and suffering does not have the final word. It means that anything that you encounter in your life, anything, as Steve Brown puts it, passes through the scarred hands of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So everything in your life sifts through, not the unscarred hands, the scarred hands. Jesus knows. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. And he cares for you. Samuel Rutherford, he said that in the cellars of affliction is when he remembers that that's where the good king stores his choicest wine. And that can be ours as well. Jesus is committed to growing you. Jesus is is committed to making you whole. Jesus is committed to freeing you from your addictions, freeing you from the ways that you damage yourself and others that is the abundant life. Do you see it? So let me ask you, how are your Jesus alternatives working out for you? And let's allow Jesus to invite us into his sheepfold this morning. He is the door. And so, God, we come to you this morning and we, if we've never entered your fold, we come now. We come now. We lay down all of our Jesus alternatives. All of our pseudo-shepherds. All of our flimsy security gates. We lay them down and we come into your fold. You are the door. Others of us who have entered that fold... 
who are still trusting in other things, even though we mentally love you and trust you, we come to you too in faith. We repent. We turn from our safety schemes. And we rest in your presence. You are the shepherd and you are our door. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.